Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. This episode of the CMO Podcast is part of our Leadership During Crisis series. For these short episodes, I am inviting back previous guests see how they are leading during the pandemic, how they are addressing new challenges, and how they are providing for their consumers, their employees, and the public during these unprecedented times. My guest today for this special Leadership During Crisis series is David Kidder, the co-founder and CEO of Bionic, which is a company that helps companies unlock growth by establishing a growth operating system using the lessons from venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. This is a very special discussion today because David talks a lot about how innovation is changing, how the mindset of leadership must change, and he's highly connected with lots of leaders around the world who are trying to figure out what innovation means in these volatile times. Here's my conversation with David. David, welcome back to the CMO Podcast. You were a super popular first episode, and I think it'll be a super popular second one as well. Very grateful. My beloved friend loved uh, opportunities to, to uh, collaborate together. Now you run, you're the co-founder and CEO of Bionic, a very, very high growth company, which is scaling. Based in New York City, you're helping companies unlock growth. Companies like Citi and Procter & Gamble and Nike. How are you doing? How are you keeping momentum in these highly volatile times? You know, venture capitalists and entrepreneurs always say when you're successful, it has nothing to do with you. It's an outside force. It's something you predict and it happens. And uh, for the last seven years since starting the company, we've had to open up our sort of business development efforts, making the case for disruption and, you know, entrepreneurship as a form of management. And uh, we don't need to make the case for that anymore. It is truly a, uh, a born for this moment uh, 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 vision for the company. We wrote our purpose seven years ago, uh, being that we ignite growth revolutions. And the thing that is going to get us out of this on the other side will be because that actually is true. Awesome. So how are you working differently? I mean, I was at your office actually in early March, a crazy time, not that much more than, you know, two months ago. And we had a fabulous meeting, kind of a thought leadership meeting, had a lot of clients there. Uh, Obviously, it's a it's a highly engaged business, right? You work side by side with clients to install a growth system. How are you working differently? Yeah, I would say 70% of our work has always been at a distance. So 
in a way, other than not being in the office together, we have a big, beautiful lab in New York, which is now empty, which is <laughs> always interesting, um, which is fine. It's an inspiring space. So you value that. But I think working from, you know, this distance has not, honestly, has not disrupted the business at all. We, uh, our partners, um, have totally embraced it. They're, the majority of them are on offense. And we had a great Q1, and we expect to have that in Q2. I think that um, I've heard from most new partners is that the systems that got them to where they are today are just you know not worth rebuilding. And so they're looking for a new system to build that can create resiliency, but resiliency around growth. Is there a new habit professionally that you've developed in this quarantine personally that would be interesting for a viewer, something unexpected maybe? Are you like baking cookies today like I am? I did a lot of yard work this weekend with my son. So I have, uh, I have built in uh, landscaping. So we've been very busy these last few weekends. No, I think the, the big, um, the two things I would just say that I'm thinking a lot about is just telling the truth about where we are. I think I, you as an entrepreneur want to make sure that people are okay and it, it's, it's all going to be okay or we're going to find our way through this. And you should say those things. But also telling the, the bold truth um, allows people to uh, participate in the experience, to contribute, and also just see your, you and your vulnerability. And the second thing is just, um, I, I have this philosophy of responsible abundance, which is, um, you know, fear is outside the company, risk is outside. You can, if it gets inside, people just don't perform well when they're operating from fear. So being responsible means, okay, I recognize what's happening. I accept it. There's this new now, I just wrote a piece about this. And I can make decisions on that outside force happening to me. But also on the inside, I can make choices because ultimately it is a choice that I can look through the world with abundance and I can make decisions that lead to growth, even when it's not clear where it's going to take us. You hosted a few days ago a bionic burst happy hour at eight o'clock in the evening. You invited me to join and you had really, really cool people there, right? People from VF Corporation, Ford, McKinsey, City, Nike. And it was a blast. And we, you know, you gave us a couple questions to think about before the happy hour. And then you got all of us to engage and to talk. It was really fun. What from that experience, which is only a few days old, kind of stands out to you? And you can ask the question back to me if you feel like it. But what, what stands out to you from that <laughs> Well, I mean, one is you uh, you and did a great job emceeing with another one of my very close friends and yours, uh, Hannah Jones of Nike. And I think what's it's just the whole shared experience. I mean, you had, you had uh, 20 plus C-suite people in the room all just talking about um, how to lead in this moment and uniting their teams, setting expectations, operating, but also really looking at the needs in the world and how how dramatically they've changed. Uh, one thing that sticks out in my mind was this concept of the bowl, right? This is from Gautam, where he said, uh, you know, the bowl that created um, um, stability and efficiency, which got you here, um, you could use, you used to be able to micromanage it. When the bowl cracked or it broke for re re seasons, uh, reasons of markets and or products, you'd be able to micromanage and go fix that. But in this moment, the bowl is smashed. And so you have a decision uh, about what pieces of it you need to bring forward. But you have to go back, you have to build a new system that is open at the edge, a network and not a hierarchy to be able to go after that because the answers of how to get out of this are not going to come from top down. They're going to be, come from people in the middle and the edge at the vanguard of where the answers are. And that is with the customer needs that have changed. 
I love that metaphor. The bowl is shattered. I think he even said, you have to pick up a few other interesting shards and build that into the new bowl, but we're creating new bowls. And someone also said, this isn't, obviously it's not a sprint we're in. It's not even a marathon. It's a long, epic new journey. Absolutely. Managing your, 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 uh, your energy in all this is so critical. One of my other close friends, Dr. Sycamore Rao, who teaches at Columbia, told me once that uh, he worked with the Navy to determine if the Navy SEALs test, that Buds week, that Hell week was actually a good test. And they embedded it and came back after six months and said, it's actually the perfect test. And the reason why is there's really two cohorts of mindsets. One are taskers that do the task, sleep, task, sleep. And one are optimizers who do the work, manage the energy, predict what's coming next, sleep, optimize, predict, sleep, optimize. And so which one of those two groups fails 90% of the time? And the answer is, is that the optimizers do. And the reason why the test is so powerful is that in the state of crisis, there actually is no managing an unknowable outcome. The only thing you could do is do your very best and rest. And if you don't do that, give it enough time, in this case, seven days, but give enough time in case seven months, three months, who knows? What gets you is rest. It breaks you down. You can't think clearly. You can't make good decisions. And so you, in this moment, you have to become a Navy SEAL who passes this test, which means you have an understanding of what's controllable and noble and not unknowable and uncontrollable, and you focus your energy in that box so that you can set down, learn, be content, and rest because you have to think long-term about how you lead in this moment. Are you following that personally in these times? Uh, it's a great question. I, I closed a, a podcast uh, or a webinar last week, and Rita McGrath asked me the same question. And I got a little choked up. Um, I love Jeff Bezos' regret minimization framework. And I just, uh, she asked me on a call randomly, and I just said, you know what, I would challenge us all to, in a month from now, look back in, and through that lens, that regret minimization, and really ask yourself, how did I use this moment? And for me, what got me really was just, you know, how I'm showing up for my sons, right? And, you know, my office is one, you know, a, a, a one floor away from them. And so when I'm in this mode, CEO mode, evangelizing mode, when I walk out of here, I am in that mode. And so when I come downstairs, it's, it's a general. It's not, it's not someone who's nurturing. It's not a let love fill this house personality. Just ask them. But they love being with me. But I, it was one of those cases where am I showing up in a place that's truly um, recognizing that they're struggling too? And what's really going to inspire them to, to grow in this moment? Because they have a chance also to learn to lead themselves. But I have to let my own life speak. I love that. Hey, from the cocktail hour, the happy hour you, you, you uh, hosted last week, I got a few things from, I mean, it was really amazing, but I heard three themes coming through. One is it's a different leadership model. Command and control is dead. Purpose is the new normal. You know, it's, it's about truth, as you just said. So that was one big one. A lot of thoughts about this is a really different model coming out. The importance of being present, which you just talked about, humanity and connection, more important than ever. And the last one, which is, I think, plays to your strengths as a company, this surge in innovation and creativity. Organizations are sort of just getting, they're focusing on the customer, they're acting quickly, they're looking for problems to solve, new categories they might get into. So any thoughts about that? I mean, that certainly was rich in the conversations last week. Yeah, I, I just wrote a piece, I wrote, I'm writing a series right now called The Great Reset, and that, that's the first one, which is about what's happening. The new now, the new future is really about this acceptance 
and then how to build that, that future together. They're happening simultaneously. So it's simultaneously and shared is such a central concept of all of this, where no one is alone in this. But it is absolutely true is that reactivating growth is really about rediscovering your proprietary gift in the customer need. And since all the customer needs in the world have fundamentally changed, right? They've either gotten much stronger or much weaker. The way we solve them, particularly in model innovation, has been radically disrupted. So we used to go one to many, right? In our distribution, in our channel, in our vet messaging, to one to a few, right? And now it's not just one to one. It's truly the interior life conversation, like reaching someone with the empathy and kindness that we talk about, but inside the home. I am myself one to a few, but I'm ultimately one to one. And over this next two years, as we work through the herd, you know, immunity of this, you know, that ceiling will be raised or lower based on the outcome of this virus. So that relationship is really what's going to determine how we service the customer problem or need. And that answer to that question of what is our gift? What is our solution to that problem? has fundamentally changed. It is no longer inside out. It is not coming from R&D. It is not coming from a building for. The only way out is with a growth mindset and a growth system that builds with the customers and can set down loss aversion and control bias and everything got you here, because that bull is broken, can take a few of those proprietary gift shards and begin again. I'm writing this book right now called The Refounders, which is really based on this moment, because that is the new CEO job is to, candidly, the CMO job is really the growth officer, as we've talked about, and the job is to bring in the growth culture around refounding. This is that moment. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So you're doing some heavy thinking there in your study, David. So what's a few pieces of pithy advice you would offer for the CMOs and the CEOs and senior leaders who are listening now from this thinking you're doing? One is uh, the power of permission. And I think that I, when I wrote the uh, purpose of Bionic, which was to ignite growth revolutions, I always thought that was about like startups and money and success and da, 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 for, for the company. Our partners are kind of the, are the hero in all this. But ultimately, that permission is really the interior life of the leader. You know, the, the instinct of seizing up and managing right now is, is, is going to put a, an absolute stopgap on what's possible right now. And there's a surrendering, a giving away of that power and the credit and all those things, because the answer for what we need to become is going to happen outside of you. Your job is to be the gardener so that that actually happens. Gentleman Crystal is a huge part of this thinking and team of teams if you've not read it, please read it. It's an amazing book. Um, but, you know, that, that narrative of permission, I think, is uh, really about the, in, the, the, the individual, the individual leader, and giving it away uh, so that the answer uh, versus controlling uh, actually inspires the company to solve the need in the world that's actually probably fundamentally new. 
What do you think is going to be the largest fundamental change in innovation coming out of this within organizations? Well, you know, innovate, I, you know, over the last uh, seven years, I've been very reluctant to use the word innovation for a couple of reasons. One, it's usually an option and it's a cheap option. Also, there's a lot of brain damage in it because people used to create innovation programs. Everyone has, we need to get innovation and then they launch a hundred things and then nothing ever dies because the cost of failure is so high that fundamentally everyone loves their idea and it never ends. And we create, it's basically a zombie factory, right, of things. And that's why CFOs usually hate it, right? But when you build something that's basic commercial truth and you lower the cost of failure and people can speak truth, good ideas grow and bad ideas uh, die because you're adopting the mindset of an investor, an entrepreneur, so that the, that commercial truth comes through. And so I think that the systems that uh, create, uh, that get leaders through this moment aren't going to be because they're toys. <laughs> they're not an innovation toy. They're not a, a toy venture group. They actually become the central model of how the companies run. They have a big to bigger, that is efficiency, that was maintained the old, old bull. The new to big is the growth mindset, the growth system that creates the growth for the core and the needs of the world to create the future. It's kind of, uh, you know, everybody's having the, their Bezos and Satya moment right now. And the question is, is do you know how to do that job? Because it is the opposite of the job that you had pre-COVID. What do you think is going to change in, you've been involved in venture capital and entrepreneurship for your entire career. What changes do you think are going to happen in those spaces coming out of this? This is all speculation. I know we're, you know, weeks into this, but it is going to be a journey, not a marathon or a sprint. Um, well, certainly the, the tables have, have flipped. I mean, if you look at the large sort of unicorn factories of the, of the soft banks, uh, that hypothesis, that funding model is fundamentally broken. Um, so the capital markets, particularly in venture, are going to be much more selective and the terms are going to be much more balanced, if not, you know, um, in favor of the venture capitalists, which is probably in due course appropriate since there's been a lot of capital going into the space. Um, and returns matter ultimately, right? Return on time, energy and money. Um, so I think on the venture side, uh, I think it's getting more restrained. It's getting smaller and it's probably going to become uh, more focused on grand challenges, really big world needs right now. Protein, for example, right? The world's going to it's going to have a meat crisis, supply chain, safety, security, um, you know, communications. You know, I, I was just uh, I just saw that Verizon bought BlueJeans this last week to compete with Zoom. Great, great decision or two weeks ago. And I was thinking, why didn't Delta buy Zoom? If, if the era of the one flight meeting is over and you're in the business, it's not about airplanes. It's about the relationship. That's the business you're in. And that's the mindset shift from a total addressable mindset view of the world to total addressable problem or need. What business are we in? What is the total addressable need, not the market? And we start thinking through that lens. That's how venture capital is going to change is because you're going to make bets that are completely, quote unquote, contrary to the core business. But when you get back to the need, you start realizing it's just a technology. It has wings on it or it's digital. It doesn't matter. You just solve the problem because you know the need. I think that is going to be fundamentally what's going to change venture and corporate entrepreneurship is they're going to get really, really good at this with very significant wide open permissions to compete that are even outside what they used to think there's a category. There are no categories when you talk about need. It's reframing the purpose of the business, its giftedness, and the need they're trying to solve in the world. 
I want to pause on that for a moment, David, because that is such a rich thought. I think most business problems, most companies that go belly up, define their market too narrowly. They, they look at TAM, or total available market, versus TAP, total available problem. And if we're about solving customer problems, and we have a ambitious view of our company, and we're not locked into a technology or a form, it's very, very mind-opening. So I just want our listeners to think about that in the business they're involved in, because it's a very, very big thought. Yeah, it's funny. When we started to sort of frame things like that, it was so Captain Obvious as a, as a founder who's, you know, over the years have, you know, struggled to build companies and had, I've had, you know, modest success, but always like, that's the only thing that matters is the customer problem or need. But to large organizations, they have ideas like entitlement or share or whatever that is in distribution they believe in. And when you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're entitled to nothing, <laughs> but you're also, you have the complete permission to solve the problem. You don't care if it's going to be solved by a plane or a Zoom or a box of electrical eels. Whatever is the answer is the answer. And I think when you start to really open the permission, that means allowing the company and the teams to simply solve the problem. Preserving what you have is what stops innovation from happening. And this is why it's such a powerful moment is because the bowl is broken, which what you can bring forward is this concept, proprietary gift. Proprietary gift is the thing that you probably threw away to the garbage dump in millions of pounds, which you know, results in protein or solves a huge grand challenge. Or it's something that you have that you've overlooked, but when it applies to a huge need in the world, it's just extraordinary how you can rediscover yourself because it's in that proprietary gift. It's usually because you care more. You're obsessed. And when you have obsession with proprietary gift and need, you win. You win because you know that the customers know that you care more than anyone else, which is why you have to inspire your company right now to care more. That's the unfair advantage we're looking for. So the pithy advice to leaders is care more and really think about the proprietary gift and amplify it. And give permission. Give permission. Give permission yeah. to break, the, the, the only bring forward the proprietary gift shards of the past and rebuild growth mindset and growth culture in the same way Bezos preserved it for the last 20 plus years and the way Satya has done that at Microsoft. It is, you need both the way you think, the lenses, and the systems, and a repeatable capability to build that, that new future that we're all responsible for reactivating and growing from. Beautiful thoughts, David. I just want to end the podcast, this little quick podcast, on a few personal things about yourself. What's the, most, what's the non-obvious thing about your life that has changed as a result of this crisis? Oh, um... I don't think I'm doing that well, actually. I mean, I, 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 I struggle with like being like, I should be doing better. And, you know, I could be using this time to get in great shape. And, you know, but honestly, I have like two, like one gallon things of M&Ms. Like, <laughs> I've eaten in the last like three weeks. And so like, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of have to uh, get back to my Navy SEAL mode and, uh, and just uh, get back to my operating rhythm. I think get back to myself and all this. I usually, I've been usually been extremely disciplined. But the, like you, I'm sure, and everybody else on this call, my days went from you know, a long commute where I could separate myself from work to extremely long days, 12, 14 hours, with no separation, which has really been, uh, I've struggled with, actually, just flipping the switch. And I don't think I've been taking care of my energy and my person and all this so that I can sustain this, actually. I, I think that's a huge risk. So 
I, I, you know, that's the big thing I'm surprised is, is I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe all the time I'm getting back. And uh, in reality, it's been consumed in time, energy, behavior that I think is actually accelerating. In the same SEAL test I gave a couple minutes ago, I just have to get better at, not in a shame or performance, but because the, the world needs me healthy, the world needs you healthy, my company needs me healthy, my kids do, my family does, wife does, they all do. So that oxygen mask, I got to get back on so that I can sustain what's required right now. And I don't think I'm, I could do better, I think. Not in a judging way, but I think, I think I just need to return to that oxygen mask pretty quickly. So if it's any consolation, LeBron James is eating a lot of M&Ms now too. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> it's okay. You know what? You got to have a, you, it today. This is a moment to have a lot of grace for yourself, right? Undeserved forgiveness, but not so much that your, your system breaks down because it needs to be something that can rise over a long period of time. So you can make a commitment here in this podcast. What are you going to do differently now that we've had this discussion? I, I, every day, uh, for you know, last couple of years, I have a journal called the, the Day One Journal. And I have this thing called the Five Minute Journal that starts with like three questions about what I'm grateful for, what will make today great, and then daily truths. And I close the day with like bullets of like three amazing things. How is my energy depleted or failing? <laughs> and, you know, observations of the journey, you know, asks of God, the universe. And so I need to get back to that. That was my rhythm. And I, I uh, my commitment to you and is to uh, to start that again because it's been about six weeks and it's been disoriented not having that opening and closing of the day in gratefulness that uh, was a huge part of my life and uh, COVID stole and so I'm taking it back and so thank you for that reminder um, you know you always have good prompts thank I you I will hold you to it we're having another happy hour relatively soon so I'm going to have you go public on that in front of that happy hour all right. I, and I, I invite anybody who'd like to, yeah, absolutely, any, anybody who'd like to join us, you can reach out to, of course, Jim, or you can reach out to me at david at onbionic.com. Um, love to have you join this conversation. It's really been cathartic. I was, I, I just was shocked about how, how much energy was in the room. They loved uh, speaking with you and having you curate the discussion. So I'm very, very thankful, Jim, to have, have you do that. David, it's great to see you. You know, all the best to you and your family and your team, your remarkable team. This has been full of pearls of wisdom and humanity and, uh, and humor. So thank you. Always. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. That was my conversation with David Kidder. He was terrific on this discussion about how brands need to think differently about their, their market, their business. Get away from this mindset of total available market and current technologies and go to this thought of total available problems and focus on solving customer problems and think more expansively about your business and your category. I love that discussion. I also loved how he talked about himself as a leader during this crisis. He's kind of disappointing himself by losing some of the routines that he had before the crisis and how he committed to bring some of those personal routines back. That's it for this episode of our Leadership During Crisis series. We hope you enjoyed this follow-up episode and found value and insight into how these leaders and brands are operating during this pandemic. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, I would be so grateful if you shared it with your friends. And if you gave the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Subscribe to the show and get notified every time we publish a new episode. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.